Box and the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media, a curated series of conversations about things that matter. For more information about our podcast, please go to KenjaminMedia.com. I think you're right. I mean, I think more there are far more people like that. I think there are some people who don't think anything they say is interesting. But I think... Well, no, that's definitely true. But, but I, I think but, that's a fewer, a smaller percentage of people than think that think that everything they think is interesting, everybody else thinks is interesting too. I think most, yes, I think most people probably think that. That there's some kind of commonality and it usually ends up being in, in, in you know, between people and it usually ends up being in, in showing up in, in storytelling. Let me tell you the story. That's interesting. I don't, I don't know if I think it's, it's a belief in commonality. I think it's a, it's a, it's a learned behavior in individualism. That is the core value that supports that. Say, say what you mean. It's, it's this, I, I've learned that what I think is interesting, what I think is interesting, period. And if I think it, everybody else must be thinking it too, because I am the center of the universe in some way. I mean, I don't think most people would say it that way, but I think that's the kind of core value that we've learned, hmm. that we've taught, been taught. That's what it, the essential aspect of individualism is, is you are the center of the world. Today on Locks of the Bagel, we're talking about technology and generational change and the impact technology has had on how we live, how we interact, and how we love. We look at what we've lost and what we've gained and what it all means. Today on Locks and the Bagel with Joshua Beckett and Kenny Benjamin. I just had it in my bedroom. I'm just yeah, in, but in you are bedroom. you are always an intellectual in your bedroom. I don't want to get personal, but anyway, um, that's <laughs> people, a whole other conversation. People, find that very erotic. I yes, think. I I I appreciate that. Some people are sapiosexual. Yes, that is that is a word used on dating websites in people's bios. Is it? It is actually. I've read it many times. I've yeah, and how many dating websites in a long time? Well, that well that brings brings us right back to what you were just what we were just talking about because how many of those people who who say they are sapiosexual do you think you would find intellectually interesting? Yeah, it's interesting. It's one of those words that is a trigger. It, that is a concerning kind of trigger word. Like it leads me to to it raises red flags for me about something. A trigger, and 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 that the red flag it raises to, for me is that sometimes there are, here is an example and it reminds me of my child in some ways because there were times I use words to hopefully to make people in a room think I was smart. That was the total use, intention of the use of a word when I was younger. Right? I wanted to be seen as smart. So I would use certain vocabulary to support that thesis that would hopefully then be seen by others. Um, it comes from a place of not feeling worthy, but that's how you'd use it. But but there are words like on dating sites, for example, although we're not talking about dating in this conversation, but eh, what the fuck? Um, there are words in dating sites that people use that you think, oh, yeah, that's one of those words that nobody uses in conversation. <laughs> like that's one of those words that you have to intentionally put in. It's like... Uh, like stunt casting to go back to an old term. Yeah, I don't know, and I think Hollywood this is, era. Maybe, and I, I think this is this is. You know um, what I mean? I do know. I do know what you mean, but I, I also think that I'm probably guilty of. See, like I will, I always, God, you are. I will always are. use ten dollar words instead of a one dollar word. But the reason that I do that, and this is, I think, a, a, a this is a a preview of my big question for you. But I think that this is something that people misunderstand about me. Is it? Hmm? See where I'm going there? Yes. You uh, feel misunderstood. No. Well, sometimes. There's I, a machine gun and a cabin in Montana with your name on it. Go on. I I really 
I love, well, you know this, I, I love language yes. and I try to use language as specifically as I can, or as my daughter has been saying lately, pacifically as I can. So I try to use language in a way that is, is um, most closely conveys the thought that I have in my head. And because English is such a versatile language and because you can be so nuanced with it, I'm often using very specific language to convey a, a thought that I have because I feel like this word most closely conveys the thing that I'm thinking. Sometimes that's a big word. And I think a lot of people think that I'm just trying to use big words and that it's ridiculous. To be, to be snobby or elitist. That's yeah, and I'm, it's think. not. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, I mean that's I'm one trying, way to, trying to look be, at it. I'm trying to be perspicuous. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. I mean, you also you grew go. up. You you grew up. This isn't your fault, but you grew Even up. That's in one East way to look at it. You just totally invalidated my experience. That's like you. You just no. basically said you just I, yes. You just authored my story. I did. It's not, one actually. way to look at it. That is I'm one way to look at why it. I, I'm telling you why I use language the way I do. And you said in response to that, that's one way to look at it. Yeah. Can I finish my explanation of that no. before you jump no. in with anger and rage? No. Cabin Cabin in Montana. That's your new nickname. Cabin in Montana. Oh. Oh, um, okay. You, that is the way you have come to make sense of that. But that's not the only part of the story, of your story specifically about why language what became important to you and why you use $10 words. I mean, that's one reading of it. And that may be the most true for you. I'm not saying it's not true, but I'm saying there are other aspects that have informed that your intellectually snobby, arrogant, narcissistic father was a huge fan of using $50 words. Right. I mean, so you learned that as a way of communicating. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. You learned that as a way of communicating <laughs> at a very young age and as a way to stand your ground, as a way to, to be seen as important. So, I mean, those are that, that also is foundational in why you speak the way you speak and why language became important to you on some level. Uh, isn't that true, too? Yeah. I, it, it, yes, it certainly it's yes, it certainly informs the my. It informs, it informs my understand. It informs my understanding and use of language. Yeah, I wasn't invalidating, but this is the, but this is a really good example of how even those of us that are self aware and have spent time thinking about ourselves and working on ourselves still have multiple parts, multiple experiences that layer in our perspective. And so the one we tell as our story is the one that feels most meaningful to us, but it's not always, and usually it's not the only one. That's all. Yeah. I'm not, and I'm not saying I'm not a snob about stuff. I am. But I... Uh, there I, is truth, and then there's fuller truth. Both things are true. Not Brad Fuller truth, just fuller truth. <laughs> yeah, right. There's just truth. Make a local reference. There's, then there's Fuller's truth. Ah, anyway. Brad Fuller and Michael Bay from the 80s. It's a lot of amusing stories. But I digress. Uh, I'm thinking mostly of breakfast at that little place on Chautauqua, Chautauqua or whatever near Chautauqua by the beach, that green looking breakfast place in the Palisades that I have memories of Brad meeting Michael Bay for breakfast there. What was, do you remember the name of that place? You, you don't know. even, you know even want to talk about it's very famous in, the, in certain is. circles. I know who Brad is. I, 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 I know that they, anyway. eat, I know that they sometimes eat breakfast. Well, I mean, yeah, now they, he works for him, but, uh, but, 25 years ago when he aspired to work for him. Anyway, it's a long, it's a, it's a great story of it's, it's a, actually it, what I'm describing is a true story of perseverance, determination, will, and, um, and, and, uh, 
targeting. Well, chutzpah too on some level, sure. And privilege and a lot of privilege. But anyway, a lot that's of a different conversation. We should have Brad on. Brad would be fun to have on. Yeah, I don't know. Is he still alive? I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Okay, good. It was um, his birthday recently. You didn't. How do you, you know that? Send, you didn't send him a birthday message. How do you know that it was Brad's birthday? I have in my calendar. You still I, talk to Brad? Yeah, I like Brad. I didn't say I didn't like Brad. I'm just saying I haven't spoken to him in a decade or longer. Why don't you like Brad? <laughs> yes. Why don't I like Brad? What is wrong with Brad? Um, I haven't spoken to Brad in a, over a decade. I don't think. Yeah, I I'm checking with him at least once a year on his birthday. Yeah, good for you, Mazel. When's his birthday? It was recently. <laughs> oh, I thought you said it was next week. No, no, I, no, no. It was recently. I just no. Kevin, like Kevin's a, birthday is, is in two days. Wednesday, Kevin's I think. Yeah. Days. So anyway, Kevin's birthday is uh, Wednesday, I think. So those are the. Right? Didn't we used to have brunch? You, me, and Kevin and Brad, or you, we me, did. and somebody we and did. Brad. I have a very specific memory of the four of us uh, having a very specific conversation that cannot be repeated. At that cafe on Rodeo, at that little hotel, we did that. But I think we were in the car on the way there, and oh. and it was a and it was a conversation prompted by Brad, and it, and it was a very it was a very Brad question. Let me say this: all conversations that can't be repeated on air were generally prompted by Brad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And anybody who knows Brad knows what I'm talking about. And that is not a negative comment. That is a loving, generally loving comment. I have nothing but loving comments to say about Brad. Brett's, and Brett's is, father, Brett who was a lovely man, you'll ever meet. Yeah, Brett. You know who's you know where he learned that from his father, uh, who was who's passed now, sadly. But he was one of the nicest men you'd ever want to meet. Just a sweet, you know, nice man who would talk to you, and he's a good guy. That's my memory of him. I didn't you know, know him. You, that know well. his, you know what his marriage philosophy was? Brad's father. Yeah, I don't actually. You you can be right, or you can have a happy marriage. Yeah, I think that's a little old world patriarchal, but but there are elements of it that may be true, but it, it feels a little bit like, you know, a man from the 50s talking, but doesn't well, take away it, from it Brad's father's time. Well, to quote a very dear friend of mine, that's one way to look at it. That is one way to look at it. And, and another, another way, I, I think the way he meant it probably was old world and patriarchal. Yes. But another way to look at that is is really about saying, you know, you don't have to defend your position on everything. Right. And by the way, any relationship, marriage or otherwise, any relationship where you're always finding yourself needing to be right, that is a, if you ever say to yourself, I need to be right in this moment, that is problematic on its face. That's something that yeah. needs some work and some rethinking, I would argue. Right. Or as but they I, say in the language of modern psychology, some reframing. Yeah. But but I would like to think that he didn't that I don't know because I don't I didn't know Irv that well. Maybe he was a very enlightened, very forward thinking person, and he didn't yeah. mean it in an old world patriarchal mm. way. I, I don't know if he was that. And again, I don't judge that at all. I have he no was idea. one of the nicest men in the world, and he was always very calm and very thoughtful and very. I remember him being a curious man too. I remember a couple times in the backyard at some party, one or two parties. I remember going to a Brad's house when when we were younger. Um, his father just being just a like a lovely person. He was one of these kind of old world men who was just lovely to talk with, never said anything negative, had a very kind of calm and quiet, steady voice. Um, that's my memory. I mean, again, I didn't know him that well. I just it, it's just like when you think back to child, you think back about your friends' parents, you think about who were you think about people that sort of stand out for you as as thoughtful or interested in you or curious or just kind, mm -hmm. you know. And then there are others, and I'm not gonna mention names because it's not fair, uh, who weren't that way. <laughs> You know, other friends of parents who were loud and angry and not so nice and not so curious. Right? We all know those people. 
I mentioned your father did, in that way. Did, but did anyway. His parents <laughs> live at the corner of Roxbury. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that parent pulled a gun on me. I literally put a gun in my face once as when I was 15. So, he also just recently passed, if I recall correctly. Oh, is that right? I don't like the word passed. I like the word died because I think died yeah, is more specific. Died. I didn't know that. Okay. I think he died. I think I read that. I think he died. He was in his 80s. But uh, yeah, he, he was... By the way, he was always nice to me as well, except for the time he pulled a gun on me and put it in my face. That was a little scary as a 15-year-old, but let's not get into that. It would be scary as a 55-year-old. At any okay. age, having a man who's might be you know, on drugs, on allegedly, <laughs> allegedly on drugs, uh, putting a gun in your face could be a scary proposition. Wait, I, wait if you know that he takes drugs... Then why, why is it allegedly? Well, in that moment, I didn't know if he was on drugs. Oh. He, I knew he had taken drugs at other times, but in that moment, so allegedly, I'm just trying to be legally clear. Mm. Well, then it wasn't allegedly. Who alleged it? Nobody alleged it. Um, the it fact was, that it, it he was, put a gun in a 15-year-old's face suggests the alleged... Suggests. Yeah, no, but yeah. <laughs> what non-high human adult man father puts a gun in his fr young friend's face if he's not high i don't know maybe that was a normal thing it was the first time it ever happened to me the I only time answer that in all kinds of ways which you know Good. would be probably okay so let me ask you let me ask you this very question typical and i think having a gun put in a 15 year old's face is a perfect transition mm -hmm. to uh talking about how technology has changed our relationships to our the people we love, to the world, to ourselves. Um, I think that's a perfect transition. Um, I don't know why. I just like using quirky transitions. It makes me think of Albert Brooks in a general sense. And I know I've mentioned Albert Brooks a number of times on the podcast, but and I don't know if he's still alive, but he's very funny. Uh, anyway. You love, so, Albert, you love Albert Brooks. I do. I just think that he is so funny. Oh, and you know, I was just thinking about that. You, you remember that movie Broadcast News that uh, mm -hmm. what's his name's father uh, directed and produced and, and wrote Brooks, James Brooks, that guy. Mm -hmm. James Brooks, very good in those kind of movies. So there is a scene. Oh, so this is let's just go to the what makes you crazy segment, because this is this is, is a riff on that. So might as well just go there. So what makes us crazy this week? So for me, it's the, the person that made me the thing that made me crazy this week was a person in the form of the human devil, also known as Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell is the devil. And and, and I'll tell you why. And again, I'm not religious and I don't believe in, you know. The, these things but if there was a devil it would be mitch mcconnell and there's a great scene in broadcast news where albert brooks is talking with uh what's her name hunter holly, holly hunter. hunter who was maybe the best role in the history of uh, film uh, so good in this role um so funny holly hunter um and she said oh there's just another line that we were the head of the news division says to her it must be difficult to be the smartest person in every room she's like oh it's horrible <laughs> it's a great line. It's just a great line. And the guy, the actor who played the head of the network, I don't know his name, but he's so dry in that moment. Anyway, her response was perfect. But Albert Brooks is talking about the devil, and he's the Jim, the uh, William Hurt character, who's the who's the becomes the anchor man, but he doesn't really have any talent, but he's good looking. You know, it's all the sort of modern riff on 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 the looks versus the the, the talent. Albert Brooks is the talent. William Hurt had the looks. William Hurt advanced further that basically what the movie's about. But he's describing how what do you think the devil would look like if he showed up on the earth? He Tom. Well, being a very nice guy is the devil. What do you think the devil's going to look like if he's around? 
God. Come on, no one's gonna be taken in by a guy with a long red pointy tail. Come on, what's he gonna sound like? <laughs> no. I'm semi-serious here. You're serious. He will be attractive. He'll be nice and helpful. He'll get a job where he influences a great God-fearing nation. He'll never do an evil thing. He'll never deliberately hurt a living thing. He'll just bit by little bit lower our standards where they're important. Just a tiny little bit. Just coax along, flash over substance. Just a tiny little bit. Because Mitch McConnell's only goal is to prevent anything uh, meaningful from happening, is to negate the the uh, the will of the people, 80 million people, the most people who ever voted for a presidential candidate. Mitch McConnell is still doing wanting to do the same thing he's been doing since 2008, which is not cooperating, not compromising, not accepting that he doesn't represent the majority of people in this country, but he has a, the majority of the power. So he's willing to do do his bidding against the will of the majority of people who voted. And I think that if there was a devil, that would be what the devil would do. So Mitch McConnell is the devil. I want to say that as much as possible because I think it's an apt uh, description. I use that as a description, not a person, because there is no devil as a person. But Mitch McConnell is the devil, meaning someone who doesn't respect anybody but himself, who's willing to do anything in his power, his great power, to negate the will of the majority of American citizens and to move this country forward in a way that says we all matter. To Mitch McConnell and his ilk, the only people who matter are the people who voted for them. And I think that's disgusting. And I think that's un-American. I think that's traitorous in many ways against the ideas that, uh, you know, the ideal, because it wasn't true when it was written, but that all men, all women, all people now are created equal and that everybody in this country has a vote and their vote should count. And, and in every election where the Republicans have won, Mitch McConnell has said the votes have to count. We need to respect the will of the people. In every election where Democrats have won, he's like, I don't need to respect anybody. Fuck all you people who voted. Fuck you in the majority. Fuck you who don't believe what I believe. Fuck you who have any other values. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. That's basically what it says on his forehead. That's why I think he's the devil. So Yeah. yeah. I always thought he was a, a turtle, a, a, very, a very evil turtle. But, uh, you make you know, a, but you make a good case for devil. I think so. I think I do yeah. make a good case for Mitch McConnell as yeah. the devil. Yeah, you do. You really do. I, I don't. I, can't, I. I don't have anything to add. I agree with everything you just said, and you, I, can't, I can't say it. Any, I can't say anything. I can't say it any, any better. So I'm. I'm. I'm going to leave it like that. Thank you so much. I think. I think I said it as well as it can be said. Did something make you crazy this week? Uh, conspiracy theorists make me fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. They just make me crazy. I, it's it's so uh, most of it is just so diluted. Um, diluted. And, and most of it. Um, I mean, I get it. I get. I get some things that are are some things that are real that are so hard to comprehend. You have to come up with some kind of insane explanation for it. But I. Um, but most of these insane explanations are just that they're so insane and the other thing is they would require the collusion of so many human beings right right and it's absurd the I, the practical reality to if those conspiracy theories actually happen are impossible impossible right and so that's why they never get in conversation to the point of practical or how would that what would that look like and who could have done that it's all china threw 6 million ballots on an airplane and dropped them off at a post office in atlanta who, how does that happen? Nobody right. ever gets to that point. Conspiracy theories and and 
and fairy tales kind of have that in common. Fairy tales always end happily ever after, but nobody ever tells you how, the, how you get to happily ever after. Um, so let's talk about technology. Let's talk so about let's, technology. let's get to the core of technology. What is your first memory of technology after, you know, like high school, like of computers, of, of what we call technology now, modern technology? What, mm. Do you have a memory so, of the first so, time you so engaged? The cable box doesn't count as my first memories of technology. Wow, the cable box. Yeah, that was a huge thing. The Z channel? The Z channel. That, that doesn't count. Pong. Pong doesn't count. Pong is my first memory of technology, that, and the cable box. <laughs> that's really my first. You know, let's just think about what Pong is for a second. Pong, you plugged it into your TV and on the screen yeah. came two little sticks, two white, little like, like three inch paddles. They're called white were, paddles, yeah, but yeah. they were basically yeah. like, they looked like the they letter. Were, they were white bars, white columns. Right. Yeah. They look like the letter I with mm -hmm. the, without the dot on top. Mm -hmm. And then a little ball, which was like a square mm -hmm. that would go from one paddle across the screen to be hit by the other paddle to go back across the screen to be hit by the other paddle to go back across the screen to be hit by the other. That was it. There were no rooms to go into. There were no characters to interact with. There were no special effects. There was no fire. There were no hamburgers involved. <clears throat> no little Italian chefs. There was nothing. It was a. It was two little sticks, paddles, and a ball. And our thoughts were, this is so fucking amazing yeah. that we can play this on the TV and it works when you move the paddle up the screen and get with, to the place the little knob. ball goes. A round knob. You removed it with a round knob. That was unfucking believable. But here, but wait, you're you're playing games with a little Italian chef. Yes, I am a little Italian chef. I oh. think we all know who I'm talking about. Are you euphemisticating? No, euphemisticating is yeah. that actually a word? Not that I know of. I love that word. You know, Webster's has put in a bunch of words this year that we talked about this last week, but that were not words until, you know, a lot of really. Regardless, I, I'm not really over that. I lost, I lost sleep after you told me that, but. I know. I medicated. So that's the first technology I, I remember until those, until, those, uh, until those Apple computers, those clamshell Apple computers. Yeah, you know what actually just came to mind that I hadn't thought of before this? Do you remember? I remember sitting in your bedroom one year. We might have been seniors in high school, juniors, probably seniors. And you were in bed ostensibly trying to sleep. And I was trying to write a paper that I had oh, waited yeah, I the last that. minute to write. And and I was using a typewriter. Um, and I can't remember if that was the year I'd got that brother typewriter that had the little the, like yeah. two-inch screen yeah, in you it. you could see like half of your sentence as you were typing it. Right. So you could actually change it before you made the mistake and then had to rip the piece of paper out and throw it to the floor, which I had done, you know, hundreds of times. Right. Went through a lot of paper in those days. Do you remember that, that? that? Yeah. That typewriter, that electric typewriter that, that I brought to college, maybe was my, yeah, maybe that was kind of my first real technology that I remember. Cause I thought that was super cool. Okay. So what I, then, what then I remember is when I, when I quit Syracuse after my freshman year, and there was a semester when I was out of college, and then I went to San Francisco, and I think it was in that period when I got that compact computer that mm. was shaped like a suitcase, and you held it up, and then you you unhitched the thing, and the, the keyboard came out, and the screen was this little, like, you know, four-inch by four-inch 
little mm. screen with green with green mm. letters on it mm. and that was the first sort of word processing program you could move text i don't remember if that was microsoft words early thing or it was something else before that but i remember that that was that was my first home computer that was an actual computer you had at home yeah. this is so revolutionary now everyone's like what are you talking about everyone is a computer i you know what that first of all we're, we're forgetting stuff or i'm forgetting stuff uh, Sorry. well i'm gonna go way back because this is this also kind of represented technology for me and and people kids were using it in the same way boys anyway we're using it in the same way that that we use phones now do you remember cattle a, prod? the cattle prod no do you remember uh this would be like seventh grade eighth grade there was a little football game and it came in a white rectangle oh my god White, this is literally what I was just going to say. I'm white, not kidding. White re- rectangular yeah, thing. Yeah, the thing with the little buttons you yes. pushed and, and it had the, and the it, round little, like, look like a stadium it, setting yes, and, and it had the and little just, orange like, dots. Just, mm, they were like, yeah, like little, almost like little, uh, like little hyphens. You know, yeah, there's little just, hyphens. And you just kind of move, and you just were trying to move the, pl- the you runner. You move them around, up and down, down and down across the, the field yeah. to try and get away from the linebackers, the defense, yes, although exactly. they all look the same. And that was yeah. very interesting. And then, then that was what I was going to bring up. That, that was my first memory. That's that was definitely after Pong. That kind of was my first thing. And then, um, Sony Walkman. I mean, it was a big deal when you could play tapes. You're talking about the Walkman with the cassettes. This is before the walk, before CDs came out, way before CDs. Oh yeah, oh yeah, with cassettes. That was that was technology. That you I mean you're. At, I'm just answering your question. What's my? What are my technology. earliest? What are my earliest memories of it? Those are my earliest memories. Right. So so this is an interesting. This is an interesting uh, difference. Like the technology of our adolescence, let's say, was technology that allowed us to listen to music or to play a game. But it didn't actually affect the f- the daily functioning of our lives. It didn't it didn't add to or detract from or mean something in sort of the way we lived our lives per se. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, correct. Yeah, it was like enrich it was like an enrichment class, like an after school class, but it wasn't the school. Yeah, that's the analogy that comes to mind. And then I then I go then I want to spring forward a bunch of years and I think of my daughter Mariana, and I want to say, God, I want to say it was like fifth grade maybe, so it would want to be like two thousand four, and she was at her mom's house. We were divorced, and she was at her mom's house, and her mom and I were in the other room talking or eating or just hanging out or something. And I remember walking into her bedroom, and for the first time, I think it was two thousand four. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I. I think I, I can't remember if it was FaceTime had been invented at that point or some kind of video chatting. Maybe it was a couple of years. I'm not exactly sure, but let's just for the sake of argument say it was that. So I walk into her room and I look and she's do, doing her homework, right? You know, now this is an interesting generational difference. We all have this idea of like our kids doing their homework. So when we were kids, I mean, I didn't have parents who helped me with my homework or checked my homework or did anything with relation to my homework, but on TV shows of that generation, uh, parents would go into their kid's room and they would lean over their shoulder and they would see the textbook they were working on and the math problems, whatever, and they would offer some help or guidance or something. Do you have any experience of that? Or did you just do your homework on your own and nobody ever looked at it? Because you were pretty smart as a kid. I, I, I don't have... Oh, the only time anybody looked at my homework is if I needed help and I asked for it, but that that was it. From one of your parents? I had a miserable experience of having my dad help me with math one time. I, I don't have very many memories of being of, of help. Okay, right. 
So, um, so I remember walking in, but we have this idea of how you're supposed to do your, Here's the other piece. We have this idea of what the environment is supposed to be like, right? You're supposed to be in your room quietly, not with music on or a TV on, right? This is the, this is the parts of our child. There was a certain rules about what one does, how one does one's homework and what environment is the right or appropriate environment, right? It's supposed to be quiet to let you focus. Like we have these ideas. Does that make sense? That's, oh, yeah. that's accurate, right? Okay. So I, so I, so I come to parenting, right? I have a, at that point, a 10 year old daughter mm-hmm. uh, and I walk into my daughter's room and she's sitting on her bed with her computer and, and her phone. And she has, I look at the computer screen and there are three different video chat bubbles, three different people in it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a uh, text chatting going on as in addition to the video chatting, there's text chatting going on individually and then she's texting on her phone. There's music in the background as well. And she's got a notebook where she's doing her homework as well. All of that was going on at the same time. So let me just ask you honestly. She ended up at a crappy college. <laughs> yeah, Ivy League. So let me just ask you honestly. If you had walked in, this is the point I'm trying to make, though, how different it is right now. Expectations and generational change. If you'd walked in on your child and you and just walked in and you saw all that going on, would your first thought have been, oh, she's getting her homework done? No problem. Nope. No. What would your first thought have been? Probably. Just honestly. Um, what the fuck are you doing? Turn all of this shit off. Get, right. And do your homework. Start doing your homework. Yeah. Right. So that in my brain was my first thought, except yeah. for context. My daughter was like an excellent student. You know, she, she went to a school that didn't have grades. They had narrative evaluation. So that's very progressive. But but she was basically a straight A student for the most part. And so my first thought was what you just described, like, what are you doing? And she's like explaining to me, she said, I'm doing my homework. And for some reason, I didn't say, I'm not to suggest that I'm the greatest, you know, parent in the world, because obviously I'm not. But, but my second thought was, huh, wow, this is really different. And I kind of took, I remember this so vividly taking it in the moment and saying like, huh. And I just asked her, like, you're getting everything done that you need to get done? Like, show me what you're working on. And she showed me and it was all, it wasn't like it was empty or bad. And, you know, again, the context was my daughter was a straight A student and, and I had to sort of take in for a second. And this is what I, when I used to counsel parents, I used to say like, like take a breath when you see something that doesn't fit your preconceived notion of what it's supposed to be like and try and put it into context before you make a judgment or take an action. Yeah. You asked me what my first thought would be, not what my first thing out of my mouth would be. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I'm saying that's a trigger. Oh, absolutely. You know, I I think today, you know, if I saw something like that, I would have the approach that you said. And I think the proof is kind of in like, well, are you getting your shit done? And if you are, and this is how you do it, then it's okay with me. Right. But But if if you're not getting your shit done, yeah, go ahead. That's a radical idea, though, one could suggest about parenting is to try and put things in context and not just impose your own understanding or generational experience on the different generation and try and understand the world. Try and, you know, the term they use in psychology that I remember from graduate school is like, you want to meet people where they are, right? You know that phrase, mm-hmm. right? Find people, look at people where they are and try and make sense of the world they live in as opposed to just imposing your narrative on somebody else's experience, which may not be their experience at all, especially as a parent. I'm saying, especially as a parent, that is a very hard thing to do for most parents, right? Because we have this idea that we're the authority. We're supposed to help you figure out the best way to do things. And when you're doing something that's so radically different than my experience, 
I don't know how to make sense of that. I, I just took a step back and I'm like, so this is how you do your work here, huh? I took that in. I remember walking out. I remember saying like, you're not going to believe what I just said like, to my ex-wife. Like, well, that was really interesting. I mean, that was illuminating. But again, we also, both of us, I think, if I remember correctly, had a lot of faith in our daughter. And again, the proof was in the doing. Yeah. So unless someone is struggling with the process they've created <clears throat> or they're hurting somebody, you know, if she was like, you know, cutting off her friend's fingers to get her homework done, I probably would have intervened because that regardless of if that worked, it still probably would have not been okay. But, uh, <laughs> but absent that, yeah, I just, it's a really interesting moment in my memory about technology and generational change and, and how the tools of technology radically alter the actual daily experience of our lives in ways that you and I didn't experience growing up. Yeah. Uh, you know, to wit, my daughter uh, she's she she's seven she just turned seven right uh, she's been facetiming since she's whatever five and a half or six right you know or video chatting with people right and to her that is just what you do it's just what you do that is not like wow this is so exciting i get to fa- I get, you know, like for us like i remember growing up and i remember going to disneyland in the when I was five or six and you know, Walt Disney Disneyland had this like wave of the future exhibit thing. Right. And they had all these potential future uh, inventions, like, you know, like the, the radical idea that your, your appliances would be, have the ability to interact with you and you could talk to them and tell them to turn the stove on or all the things that by the way, you can now do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but back then it was just like science fiction, that idea and the video and video chatting, the idea, I don't think we called it that then, but whatever we called it, the idea of talking to somebody in real time over a screen where you could actually see them, like, excuse me, the way we're recording this podcast where we're 1500 miles away and I see you and you see me and we can talk. That was, that was side, that was Star Trek. That was science fiction. And so cool. Like, God, wouldn't that be amazing if we could video chat over a video and see each other from different places? Yeah. I mean, I remember thinking how amazing that would be. Well, and it is amazing. I mean, I still don't really take it for granted. I still think well, it's pretty amazing that we can. Yeah, because we, we grew up in an era where it was fantasy when we were children. And now as adults, it's reality. Dahlia, your daughter, is growing up in an era where this is what you do. The absence of it seems like absurd to her. Like she wouldn't imagine not being able to do it. That what sense? Why would you live in a world where you couldn't do this? <laughs> what kind of world would that be? Who made that makes no sense. That's true. I, I think that I do think that there's this also this thing, you know, that um, we tend to uh, think that our kids are uh, sort of geniuses because of the way that they are a- <laughs> able to use technology. Yeah, um, and uh, you know plays into everybody's confirmation bias about the intelligence of their kids. When, right. in, when in fact, the, the technology is most of it that we're using is designed to be able to use, to be used by a child. Well, also any, anything if learned at an early age is simple. Languages are much easier when you teach, when you learn them. In early, I mean, the brain is much more open and sponge-like at, at Dahlia's age than it is at our age. And and so when you introduce that, I mean, even Mar- we talked about this before, yeah. but even Mariana, my daughter who's 26, talks about, you know, she got all this technology just as high school started. And she talks about the difference between her generation and the generation who got this four years earlier in middle school that came four years later, mm-hmm. right, who got this in fifth grade or sixth grade yeah. and how different their daily experience of the world is. I mean, that's so few years apart. 
right? And to you and me in our culture, right. in our context, that seems like the same, but it's so different to her. Well, because te- technology advances exponentially. Right. It's much different now. Yeah. The speed at which it moves. And, and by the way, again, like kids, you know, I remember the issue. I remember this is another one. Um, I would say that the greatest change to our lives has not been the computer, but it's been the, the smartphone. I would say the smartphone has radically altered the way we engage in the world yeah, because we have the- I think a right? lot of people would agree with you. I think- Yeah. And the accessibility to, to any information, all information and communications, like I can make a Zoom call on my smartphone from the park, which I do with a friend of ours, Kevin, every week. I can, I you know, it, there's so much, it happens in my palm of my hand in my pocket, right? That was just absurd when we were kids. And that, again, science fiction. But uh, so that's been the dr- the dramatic change. Uh, I totally lost my point train of thought. What was I? Where was I going toward? What was, I literally lost my train of thought. I got so excited about the idea of a smartphone. I lost the whole point I was making. I don't what know. Happened? We were. I don't know. We were talking about how technology advances exponentially. But you know, I, I want to get. I want to get into this question that you had about yeah. how how technology, you know, informs and influences our relationships with one another. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm I am inclined to say, and and this is not like some fucking light bulb moment or, or stroke of genius, but you know, I my knee jerk response is like, oh well, I think technology is, um, in in many respects, is alienating us from one another and, and it's creating these little personal silos and these little bubbles that we all tend to live in now because we're all on our phones and you know, um, you know, and on the other hand take the example that you just gave, which is for some people, like for you and me, it's bringing us closer. We're able to do this. I can talk to you. I can look at you. You can be anywhere basically in the world that has right. you know, internet and I can stay connected to you in a way that I've never been able to before. Um, but I do think that there is, I, I it's both. I, I don't, yeah, it's both. I don't, and I don't, you know, I, I'm I'm very thoughtful of, you know, my my generational place in society, and, um, but I I see people in social situations doing things that are informed by and influenced by technology, like specifically like being out with other people in a social environment and mm-hmm. just being on their telephone on on their telephone on their smartphone, right. um, on their mobile phone, including it like in my own home or, you know, just like in yeah. small gatherings. It's like, I don't think so. I, I that, that is a very, right. you know, now part of that is that, you know, part of that is the kind of intermittent reinforcement that, you know, becomes perpetuated by use of these things. And there's, it's, it's, it's almost a habitual and. Right. Whether you're checking your likes on Instagram or you're checking your emails or checking to see if right. your, your child is still sleeping in her bed after on some cam app, you know, like there's all kinds of things we do regularly that we've just gotten in the habit of doing that are not part of our lives. But that, that, that leads to the question that I was actually going to ask you before you started on this, which was what's lost in this huge movement forward of technology what have we lost that we that you miss what what experience or values are lost in the gaining of all this positive technology that you miss well i have to say that was a really interesting question and we'll pick that up next week when we continue our conversation about technology and focus in more on how technology has impacted our relationship with ourselves and with the people we love for kenny benjamin I'm Joshua Beckett. No, wait, reverse that. For Joshua Beckett, I'm Kenny Benjamin, and you've been listening to Locks in the Bagel. 
We'll see you next week.